Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Before I begin, uh, and we have our sermon, and um, we have the uh, Lord's Supper, we're going to do that at the end, I want to take just a few minutes, and, as, and I, I want to apologize to you all um, for the turmoil that obviously is going on. Um, none of us saw this coming, none of us. And um, uh, so I apologize. I, I hate for the church to have turmoil, and I hate for the for the uh, discomfort that causes people to have, and uh, I, I, because the bottom line is this: the church was created by Jesus to be the light in the community where we exist. The Jews were told in Isaiah 42, you're to be a light to the Gentiles. They didn't do that. And so the church came into existence on the day of Pentecost and was brought into existence to be the light of the world. Jesus empowering his people to be light in a, in a world of darkness. And so I apologize for all of this happening for any part that I may have played in it inadvertently. Now the reason that none of us on the staff saw what happened last week, we, none of us were prepared for that. We all were shocked and surprised. The reason that I have difficulty just accepting the whole thing was I have a letter here that I've cherished from Rick and it was a problem that had developed back some time ago and he wrote me this letter I know you've positioned yourself in the in our church to be to watch over finances and to help us in staffing and I know that you have the very best interest of CCC and the kingdom of God in your heart. So I pray God gives you wisdom in this. I love you deeply, and I believe you know that. And I love CCC with all I have. Signed, Rick. He has been like one of my children for many years. And, uh, and whenever one of your children turn on you or say unkind things, even to crusty old men, it hurts. Now the central problem, it seems to me, and he admitted it in the letter that he gave, he left for me, and he read for you all, is that it was a feeling that he had, not a fact. He said, I, I feel like I'm being pushed out. The fact of the matter is, that just isn't true, even though he may feel that way. We had discussions, and the letter that you all have will speak for itself, but I just want to comment on it for a few minutes, and then we'll go ahead. They mentioned the 62 and the 65. The 62 and the 65 that we were mentioning, and I'll clarify it in just a minute, that's the, that's the ages that you file for Social Security. You either file, at, you, earliest you can file is at 62 and, and at 65. And at that particular time, then you become under some government guidelines of how much money you can make and can't make. And that needed to be clarified. And so I, I hope that the two of them go see a uh, financial advisor that can help them understand that. 
Rick's current salary, uh, total remuneration, the total package is around $70,000 a year. That won't make him rich, and he has, a th and, he, and there's the three-week vacation. Uh, that's not as good as some of the preachers in churches this size in the big cities where there's a little more wealth than we have here. But I think it's a fair package. Some people say that I'm difficult to work for. I've been told that more than once. And there's some truth to that. I expect people to work. And um, I've always worked hard, and I expect others to work. Uh, when people come in at, five, uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning and leave at 11 and, and uh, go run or do exercises for an hour and then take another half hour to eat and go home at 2 o'clock, I get upset. And, uh, but when you look at what goes on here, we have, you know, Paula has been with us 35 years, Rick been here 38 years, Carolyn who was our janitor, been here 30 years. And we've been, I've been married for 58. Now that hasn't always been easy for Alice Kay, but she's still the luckiest person in Salt County, in my opinion, but you know, for what that's worth. And it seems that when these things happen past history, it doesn't matter. And I, I think it does. Alice Kay and I helped Rick and Bev get their first house. We helped them after that, if, if and when it was needed. Later on, it didn't. I've introduced him to some of the church leaders in the country, some of the biggest churches in the country, because I wanted them to get to know him, because I think he's a heck of a nice guy and a brother in Christ. I have a card or two from him from the past where he told me that I was, the, I was his father now after his daddy died. I took that seriously. And his heartaches he shared with me, financial woes he shared with me. We pray with him. We tried to help him and Bev all we could. Now, what had been going on here lately that seems to have brought this to a head is this. We were in the process, and this is still loud up here, guys, for me. I'm getting feedback. Um, we were in the process of developing, and your letter will tell you that, a five-year program. Now, the reason we need a five-year program here for the church We'd finished the first year, and then we were going to go with the next five. The reason we needed to do that was, should be obvious to every, almost everybody. Three of us that work here all the time, two are, are paid a little bit, and uh, one's not paid at all, but here every day. Ralph is 78. Alice Kay is 78. She looks like she's 39, but she's 78. And I'll be 80 in September. Plans need to be made for the benefit of our congregation to train people who will replace us. Because in five years, if that five-year thing works out, we're apt to be in heaven, feeling sorry for you poor folks. That's, that could very well be, maybe we won't, but you have to assume we may and start training people for the benefit of the congregation. Now, we have in, in place a succession program. And the, pro, and, and the way Rick became lead pastor is uh, he was... At, at 62, I retired from out in the business world, 62. For three years, he became co-pastor, and then he became lead pastor of the church. Our guidelines say that that's the same way that the next system should work. When, whether it's Matthew, whoever it is, because Rick will be 61, 
in, I think it's July, which means that a year from now, he'll be 62, and then the three-year training program starts where there are two people being co-lead pastors, and then the time comes when he files for uh, Social Security and admits the fact that he's old. Why? That just kind of is the way it works. And then the next guy's there, and down when he'll get to, if it's Matthew, and he gets to be 62, you have to do it again. Because you have to think, you have to have a succession pro, uh, uh, thing in line for the sake of the church. You can't wait till somebody dies and say, well, let's go fix it now. You, you plan ahead. And that five-year plan was for that purpose of us getting. And then when we finished the five-year plan, it was to be typed up and distributed to the congreg everybody in the congregation so they would know that they're, here's the plans that we're trying. But for some reason or other that I don't understand, Rick either misunderstood or got really upset about it because he said, I want to be lead pastor until I want to quit being lead pastor. I said, well, Rick, you're not thinking about the church. You're thinking about y yourself. And we have to think about the church and what's best for it. And, uh, and whether that led to the problem or not, I don't really know. But it seems to, to be the problem. But I want to read to you. Uh, and by the way, all of this was done in conjunction with the trustees and the entire church staff. We sat down. I said, when I put this together, I said, now guys, you read this and you be critical. If it isn't absolutely positively true, you speak up. This has to be absolutely the truth. Here's the part I want you all to know. And, and just, I'll read it. Let me be very clear. What Rick did last Lord's Day was, has done serious damage to this church and to the cause of Christ in this community. Yet, the damage could be partially repaired if he would reconsider his decision. And meet me here on this platform where we could hug each other and say that we love each other and mean it. Get down on our knees here before God and have you to surround us and pray for healing. And let him know that he's lead pastor for the next five years. And after that, if he wants to be a part of the preaching team until he goes to be with Jesus, that's kind of understood. That's what they've done with me. I get to preach once in a while. I think if that were to happen, part of the damage that has been done could be repaired. We need to learn to forgive each other. We need to... Well, let's put it like this. If the church isn't the most loving place in the world, we've let Jesus down. So, I hope and pray that something like that will happen in the immediate future. I will tell you this. In the last several months, the Rick Clark that we know hasn't been the same. And I don't know why. But I'm going to tell you this. I love the guy. And I think that his intention is to do the right thing. But I think he made a serious mistake. And I want you to pray for him. And I hope you pray for me too. And our goal should be that we restore our relationship and that we continue to work together until we die. It's like a marriage. And I hope that you understand that from everybody on our church staff, we would love to see that happen. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to go through my message and then we'll have communion, okay? 
Lord, I want you to bless this gathering of people who have sat here so kindly. And I know I haven't done a very good job of saying what needs to be said. I just don't really know what to say. But I think it's important, Lord, that these folks know that I love you. I love them. And I love Rick and Cindy, even though I'm really disappointed at what took place and hurt. But help us, Father, to rise above these things and get on with the idea of showing the world who Jesus is by the way we treat each other and love each other. We're going to need your help, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. But I'm begging you, please help us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Elby, you've always been a little bit of a prophet, so maybe that's it, you know. I appreciate that. Me either. You could have asked me, and I wouldn't have known. Yeah. I appreciate it. I, and I knew that. I, I, believe it or not, knowing you, I knew that. Because we've been buddies for a long time. I want to read a passage of scripture and then we'll talk, okay? Um, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels but do not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a, clang, or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries of all the knowledge and if I have the faith that could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames and have not love, I'm nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It, it is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where, there are, where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes... The imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall, be, I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let me take just a few moments and tell you why this church came into existence. I'd been here about three and a half years and I looked around town. And I saw lots of religion, but I didn't see people loving each other. I saw lots of churches, but the churches didn't even like each other. And so... We got to thinking about what if we could start a fellowship of believers. Membership means nothing. Relationships mean everything. Your relationship with God should be loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your relationship with each other should be just exactly I'll do. I'll deny myself in order to bless your life. And hopefully you would do the same for me. For Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, you must be willing to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. Which means we don't always get what we want. 
I mean, any successful marriage is going to be going to ha- that's going to succeed because of that very thing. You're not always going to get what you want. And it seems to me that what has happened here at church is that we have fallen into the rut, maybe. I don't think anything on purpose, but we have fallen into the rut of becoming what I saw the other churches were like when we wanted to start this one. And there's a passage of Scripture that stuck in my mind all week long. It's found in the book of Revelation in the second chapter when the Apostle Paul was, or the Apostle John was talking about the seven churches. And and this one happened to be the church at Ephesus. And that was probably, at that time, the most influential church in all of the Mediterranean world. And here's what he wrote to that church. You have forsaken your first love. You need to remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then he gives a warning. And if you don't repent, it ain't going to be good. And the Apostle Paul went to the trouble of spelling out for us what love looked like. Now, he got this from Jesus. For Jesus had said when he announced to his apostles that he was going to go to heaven pretty soon, he said, I'm giving you this command. Love one another as I've loved you. Or rather, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. Now, I don't care what else we do. You can build pretty buildings. You can have big budgets. You can do good things to the na- in, in, the, in the neighborhood. You can, you can know, be known as a generous person, so on, all of which is good. But what the, what the Word of God says, that if love isn't the most dominant thing in your church and personal life, you're in trouble, and you need to repent. And you need to find that first love. Do you remember the glow that you had when you first accept Jesus? Holy mackerel, you could almost walk on air because the excitement of knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that you had been adopted into God's family and that he loves you and, that, and, and your fellowship in the church was just, you thought those folks were the nicest, you had the idea they were the nicest folks on the face of the earth and they were just forgiven sinners. But when you love people, you hardly even notice when they do things wrong. And so Jesus was telling them because his disciples fussed among themselves quite a bit. Some were ambitious, whatever. But I really like to look at that 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians because that Corinthian church was a mess. They were all trying to see which one was the most spiritual. They were struggling over which one spiritual gift was better than the other one. It was a mess. And, and the apostle Paul, he, he just called it a mess. And he addressed it and he told them what they needed to do about it. He said they were, some were saying, well, I speak in tongues. Others say, well, I've got faith to do this. And he said, you know, none of that matters if you don't love each other. And I've gotten to the place in my life where I wonder if it's possible to go to heaven if you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, mold, mind, and strength and your neighbors yourself. I just wonder. Now you say, well, you're setting that standard pretty high. I really didn't set the standard. I'm just kind of looking at it here. He says love is patient. Patient. That means that you can put up with each other when sometimes you really don't want to. Patient with people means that that, that you kind of let the string out. Impatient means that you snap quickly. And all of us do that, especially when we're tired. Or if your blood, my kids used to say they could tell when my blood pressure was up because I was cranky. Love is kind. 
What I'm doing here is, is I'm taking what the Apostle Paul said love looks like in the life of a person who follows Jesus and wants their life to reflect him to the world watching us. Love is kind. That, that what that means in simple terms is that when you see one of those guys down on the corner with his sign and, you get, and it gets on your nerves and you say, you know, he's got a telephone, he's got a dog, he, he owns a house, he, and, 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 you, and you have all the reasons that you can think of why you wish he'd go somewhere else and you don't want to give him a penny. It means every once in a while you just ought to stop and give him something. Because kindness shows itself to where you rise above your natural self to do something that Jesus would do. And I find it difficult to believe that he would drive by all those guys all the time without stopping and at least having a word with them. Love is, is not self-serving is the next way. And self-serving is, I think, something that all of us struggle with if we're honest. I believe that in growing in Christ till we get to the place where Jesus can see, be seen in us, I believe that the biggest struggle that we have is our own selfishness. Now, I can speak that way about myself because if you've been somewhat successful in business and in some other things, you have a tendency to think you're a little something special. And then you get to thinking that, uh, and self becomes the center of attention instead of Jesus. And it's a struggle to get past that. It's a really a struggle to get past that. And yet I believe it's a universal struggle that we all, and that's the reason the scripture says, and, and James says, you guys need to learn to confess your faults one to another and pray for each other because you share the same struggles in trying to overcome sin. Because we're all really sinners. Hopefully all here are forgiven sinners. If not, you need to do something about it. The next one is a real booger. Never keeps records of wrongs done to you. Now, I don't think that's possible until we mature in the faith and become more like Jesus. Well, you see, God has an unusual capacity. God can forgive and not remember anymore. I can forgive and think of it about three times a day. Because the, word, the forgiveness was all words and it hadn't come from the heart yet. But to learn to forgive and, and, uh, and, and just not keep a record, let it slide, get it behind you is an indication of spiritual maturity that few of us can honestly say we've reached. I think it's just kind of, we, we kind of get there and back off, and kind of get there and back off, kind of get there and back off. Something will happen, and it'll trigger something in you down deep, and you want to just bite a nail. The next one, he says, love rejoices in the truth. Now, I'm glad, and I think the Spirit of God guided me. And this one, I talked to our guys here at church, and we were sitting around the table, and everybody was free to say their mind, and because all of us were in a, in, a, in a state of shock. And we said, make sure what we write and what we say about this situation is absolutely true. Because people have a tendency to take things and spin them. Because one of the interesting things that uh, down where we live, the owner came upstairs and he said, you want me to tell you what somebody just said in the coffee shop? I said, no, I don't really want to hear it, but you came all the way up here to tell me, so let's get on with it. And he, he said, somebody said that before you left, on the second, you stuck a, a sticker on Rick's door and said, you're fired. 
those things get out and go around, you know. I was shocked to the place I like to wet my britches when uh, they sent me a thing and said that he had resigned. I never anticipated that. Then the next one here really gets where it gets into and he says that love protects. And that really gets to be tough. It's not difficult in a family setting, but it gets difficult in a church setting. A father protects his wife and his children. And you do that almost instinctively. That's, that's uh, you know, th- this is Mother's Day, and it just it makes me ache that on Mother's Day we're talking about trouble. Mothers protect. I can remember I was a youth minister in Columbus, Indiana, and some rich lady had invited us to go eat with her. Her name was Hazel, forget her last name. And we had two rugrats, uh, Greg, yay high, and Brian, yay higher. And we were standing, getting, we, the church was over, and we are getting ready to go across the street, Lafayette Street, across to the place where the cars were parked. And we were talking, and in that conversation, I said something to someone else about go ahead and do such, and, and Greg was standing here, and he heard me say go ahead, and he ran out in front of a car. The car was able to stop. When you have failed at protecting your children, you just, I don't have words to say what I felt at that particular time. That little kid could have been killed and have been my fault from what I said. But we're to protect each other. I want you not just to protect me, but to protect Rick and Cindy as well. I don't agree with what they're doing. I wish they would come back here and we could get it all fixed and he could just be the lead pastor probably until I'm dead. Next one. Love trusts. Love trusts. And and see, when something like this happened, that really gets to be a challenge. Who can you trust? When someone violates a trust, you get so that you, you wonder if you can believe anything they say and wonder what they've been doing. That's really... It, and so it, but you see, difficulties in life have a purpose. And at the time they happen, it's difficult to see them unless there's somebody there to help you out just a tad. Here's what happens difficulties test us to see where we are in our spiritual growth. Are we trustworthy? Can you trust me? There's a movie that I really like. I don't, I don't, I've seen it six times, probably. And I don't watch many movies that, uh, that aren't in unless Clint Eastwood or John Wayne are in it. I just don't watch them. But this one was happened, and, and this boy was accused of shooting the president. And in it to prove, and, and, and it kind of goes and he ends up, you know, he was... Uh, he was uh, before a bunch of people in a room, and uh, and he was going to prove that he hadn't shot the president. And this young FBI guy had come to trust him and was taken up for him. Now, Matthew will know what this movie is and all that kind of stuff. But, I, and so, but anyway, he picks up this big old rifle, slams the thing to him, Bolt action. Looks at that FBI guy and says, do you trust me? He said, yes, sir, I trust you. Do you really trust me? Yeah, I trust you. And he pulled the trigger. And it clicked. The guy still jumped when he pulled the trigger. But he said, you know why it wasn't me? 
Whenever I leave the house, I remove the firing pins from all of my guns in case anybody gets them. They can't shoot anybody. And I never, I've thought about that. That guy put that big old gun pointed, do you trust me? Yes, sir, I trust you. I'd had a tendency to say, I'd trust you a lot more if you put that thing down. But uh, anyway, learning to trust each other. And that really gets difficult when someone violates a trust. But if we, if we can, if the Holy Spirit will help us look for the fine good things in each other. And we need to trust each other because the scripture says that love is bearing one another's burdens and trusting is the way we do that. Then he comes to the word hope. I'm at the place now where I don't think life is worth living if somebody, if you have, are living without hope. Our hope of going to heaven is called the blessed hope. And I, I've always emphasized this for you all because, and for myself because I think it is the key to a tranquil heart as a believer. You have to have this hope within you that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the blessed hope. And then the last one is love perseveres. I used to mispronounce that all the time. Dottie Justice would correct me. I hate school teachers. But anyway, she's, I'd call it uh, perseveres or something. Anyway, I, misspelled, I, I mispronounced it. And I didn't know it, but she told me I did. So... I sat down before the mirror and started trying to say persevere, 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 persevere. And I finally got it right. But what the heck does it mean? Well, in northern Kentucky lingo, it means you hang in there regardless. And James says that to learn to persevere... To become a persevering, a hang-in-there guy, one that you can really depend on, is a guy who has successfully gone through difficulty. He's the guy that come heck or high water you can depend on. Often, we have a tendency to think on Mother's not just on Mother's Day, but in, that's Mama. The absolute embodiment of perseverance is a loving mother. Man, they hang in there. I can remember my oldest, uh, well, no, I'm going to, it wasn't my oldest boy, it was my youngest boy. You all know him as Matthew. Uh, on, as a teenager, on his best day, he wasn't worth shooting. And, um, and Alice Kay kept saying, you know, I can just love him into being a good boy. And I kept saying, I can beat him into being a good boy. Well, both of us were wrong. She came to me one day and she said, I give up. He's yours. So I said, okay. So I sent him to California to be with his older brother, Brian, who had already done everything Andrew or that, that Matthew was wanting to do, so he couldn't fool him. And we sent him to military school. We sent him, you know, and, uh, and I never did give up on him, but I did want to periodically beat him anyway. In all honesty, I did. And he needed to be beaten. You know, and the truth of the matter is, if I raised my children, and I didn't, I never beat my children, to be honest with you, but I did thump them on their fanny. And, um, and with all of that, all of that going on, all that taking place, the fact is he turned out, and that's just been fairly recent, to be a fairly godly, well, you stay out there. 
to be a fairly godly guy that's really trying to be a man of God. And uh, so perseverance pays off. That's what I'm telling you. Don't give up on anybody. Because God has a way of fixing things if you just trust him. Things that we can't fix. Because then he closes by saying love never fails. Love never fails. I guess that's another way of saying what I've already said. Don't give up on anybody. Just don't give up on them. Don't give up on situations either. Because love is the perfection of God. That's the way it's described here. And when we get to heaven, we don't need faith anymore. When we get to heaven, we don't need hope anymore because both have been realized. But when we get to heaven, love stills there. Everything else goes away. Love is still there because it ain't heaven without love. And love's not worth hardly living on earth here either without it. When the early church would get together periodically, they did something. They, they'd have a carry-in supper. Now, these were mostly, often mostly slaves. And they couldn't come together to church in the daytime because their owners wouldn't let them. But after it got dark, they could come to, the, to the, somebody's house where the church was meeting. They didn't have church buildings. And if they had a little something to bring, they had a carry-in supper and they would eat their supper together, and they called it a love meal. Now, I don't know why they called it that, but that's what they called it, the agape meal. Where they'd come together, and, and, and they would, uh, where are you going? Yeah, all right. All right. Where in the heck was I? Let's see. All right. They, we were at a carry-in supper in the first century, right? And they would all come together. Now, in Corinth, they really messed that up. But on a regular basis, they, they would come, and, and they would eat supper. And at the end of supper, they would take a cup, and they would take a, a, a probably watered-down wine. That's what they usually use. And some bread. And their bread, if you've traveled abroad, it's not a loaf like we have. It's just a flat hunk of bread that you can pare off and eat or whatever. Just a kind of a flat thing. Looks more like a pancake, really, than it does a loaf of bread. But they called it a loaf. And they would break that up, pass it around, and everybody break them off a piece. But before they did that, and before they took the little cup of, of wine, and they usually just had one cup, and the old boys, you know, passed it on around. You know, the reason they quit using one cup is because of ambeer. People have, you know, guys chewing tobacco, coming down, and some old girl would look at that old guy, you know, pass it on. So they started making these little cups, a little more friendly to the ladies they passed that thing but before they did that they always checked each other out is there anybody here who has ought against somebody else if you have if there is you go to that person and you be reconciled They had problems then just like we do today. But he, he said to them in Corinth, if you don't get reconciled before you eat and drink, if you don't love one another, if you don't forgive each other, there are serious consequences. 
And he actually writes down what those consequences are. He said, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And he's talking about people who have ought against each other. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. What is the judgment upon those who violate loving each other at communion? This is why many of you are weak and sick. Did you ever wonder where sickness comes from? It may often be the judgment of God because we have refused to forgive and to love each other. And a number of you have died. But he says, if you judge yourself, we would not come under judgment. And so I, I want you, before we take communion, you guys who are going to pass it, go on back there if you would. I want you to take enough time, and only you can do it. I want you to take enough time to ask yourself that question. Well, heck, it may be your wife or your husband. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm telling you this. God's word is, is true. And to avoid the judgment of God on your life and my life, we need to do that. Now, I'm not going to take communion. I'm going to tell you that ahead of time. Until I can find an opportunity to sit down with Rick, I probably won't take communion. Because I think if I did, because I haven't had a chance to see him or talk to him since I got back. And I think if I don't do that, I would be setting a bad example for you after having read the scripture. So I hope you understand if I, if I forego it. Because I want to see if it's humanly possible to be reconciled. So guys, go ahead and distribute. And Andrew, you can do what you got to do.
25th chapter of Matthew, or 26th chapter, pardon me, of Matthew, when the disciples were seated with Jesus at that Last Supper, he instituted the Lord's Supper with these words, and Matthew records it thusly. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is this, that Jesus died, buried, raised again, and he gives us the cup and the loaf so we'll never forget it. I want to close by saying that Alice Kay and I love you guys. We love this church. We have given our whole life to it. 46 years we've given to this church and we'll give the rest of our life to it gladly. So I pray that when you leave here as forgiven children of God, you'll continue to pray for the ministry of reconciliation. Because believe it or not, the Bible talks about the ministry of reconciliation. He talks about it here to the Corinthian people who were fighting among themselves and couldn't get along with each other. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Get it this now. Not counting men's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. And by doing this, we become ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So Lord, may your blessing be upon these people who have been so gracious and listened so carefully. And I pray that the message of love and hope and reconciliation will be not just on our lips, but in our heart. And may through the power of your Holy Spirit bring us together in Christ as one. Forgive us of any hard feelings that we might have. And help us, Father, to be the light of the world. Help us grow in Christ to the place that he's fully formed in us. And that our community can see Christ in us. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Lord, go with us to our homes. And everybody said, you're free to go. Thank you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.